0: much. So, if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, it's fine. We still love you. If you haven't been with us last week, it's also good because we didn't meet. It's great to be together again. But we've been on this journey covering the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. and uh, I don't know how many weeks we've done it already. But we're carrying on this morning along this journey. And uh, the title of my message this morning is "Home Improvement." We probably will do one or two preachers on the home improvement are we taking it from a portion of scripture that I'd love for us to read together can we have those verses up there please Sharon then we can um, read it together why don't you just read this with me It's all up there if you can see it why don't you just loudly say it with me wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord uh-huh all right wait wait, wait. next is coming husbands Love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. All right. So, how many of you here this morning are married? How many of you are, you are happily married? <laughs> Thank you. How many of you are not married? All right. That's obvious. There are two different groups here today. We've got marrieds and unmarrieds. Um, marrieds because you have a spouse unmarried because you're either single, maybe you are, have been married before, you're widowed or you're a widow, um, maybe you've been through a divorce, and uh, the immediate thing that could happen this morning is that we would say, well, I'm not married, so this is not relevant for me, when we read those verses, isn't it? Okay, some of you agree with that. What I'd like to just do is I want to involve all of us in this preach. The first point that we really want to make is that a talk on marriage is necessary for everyone. And I'll explain it as we go through. The objective in my mind today is to include everyone for this particular reason, to help those who are genuinely interested in getting married one day and would like to start being prepared. By the way, I think it's a good thing that if you even young, and you thinking of one day getting married, to start reading up about it and getting yourself acquainted with what it means to be married because it's probably one of the most ill-prepared things that people go into, by the way. Many of you prepare for a career, for a vocation, and you spend years in preparing for it, but when you get married, which is a thing that you do for your life, the rest of your life, you spend often nothing on it you spend a lot of time preparing for the actual day but not for the days after that first day and so this preaches for those people that are one day want to get married I also think it's important to talk to people who have no interest in marriage there may be some of you here this morning and that's fine Okay. I'm gonna ask who those are hopefully you're not married Because if you do then disclose your identity this morning, it may not be such a great thing. So that's why. Don't lift your hands now. Why? No. <laughs> and it will be fine for us to to consider those people. And it's important that maybe there are people here that are saying, I want to be single for at least now in my life. And there may be even people that say, well, I'll be prepared to be single for the rest of my life. That's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. Nowhere in the Bible, by by the way, does it say that single people are seen as second-rate citizens. And in our communities, often there's pressure on young people, and people are like that if they're not married and they're 40 years old and they're over their 40s and there's something wrong. That's unbiblical. If you consider, if you're part of that crowd, you are no different than anybody else that perhaps are married. Even in our decision to stay single, it's important for us that we have an exposure to what marriage is about. Explain. It's also good to talk about this today to assist people who have been disappointed and perhaps been hurt through marriage in the past. It does not define you, your past experience in marriage. It doesn't make you to be a failure. Failure is an event in our lives. It doesn't define us doesn't define marriage and it shouldn't define what marriage is because of your disappointment or experience we also will talk about this today to help those of us that are currently married and engage in this wonderful thing called marriage we want to grow in it and by the way you ought to grow in it if you are married and have been even for a long time maybe there's some of you that have lost your, your desire to grow in it and you've lost the confidence to grow in it Hence, a talk on marriage is necessary for everyone. The second thing I want to mention is that a biblical perspective on marriage is therefore essential. Can I just share with you some pretty ideas and some nice soppy ideas about marriage from the You magazine or whatever magazine there may be that writes about these things? we have to refer to the Bible. The reason I'd like for us all to listen, all those different categories of people, wherever you may find yourself regarding marriage, is because we all carry a message of marriage with us. Before marriage, during marriage, between marriage, and after it. Each one of us this morning... Seated here would have a certain perspective of what marriage is all about. Or shouldn't be. Or could be. And that's why it's so important for us to, together, collectively this morning, look at a biblical perspective. And we're just going to be using two verses that you've already read. We don't have the time to look at more. That's where our dear friends Kilton and Adelaide come in. And they've just been so incredibly faithful in helping the people of Zimbabwe understand. What a biblical perspective of marriage is all about. I want to honor you for doing that because I think you've sown incredibly good seed into this nation. This message today will determine and could determine whether it's helpful to others who listen to your story in your heart and whether it'll bring them close to what God's heart about marriage is. Because each one of you have influence in people's lives. And so each one of you may have people that ask you about marriage and mainly not now, maybe not in you know, form two when you're sitting around thinking about you know, you know, what the latest phone is that you could use. You're not thinking about marriage. Probably good that you don't think about it then. It's not wrong. But maybe somewhere in your life you're going to be exposed as a young person and as an older person, there are people that could ask you about marriage and your perspective, may I say, could add value to theirs or not that's why it's so important that we have a biblical understanding of what marriage is about not a personal reflection only because your personal experience could influence another person's pursuit of it or not in a good or bad way. God wants us to let the correct perspective of marriage be taken into this world by each one of us whether we are married will be married never may marry or have been disappointed through marriage each one of us are going to walk with a story and currently live with a story perhaps already about marriage and other people are listening to your story. And therefore it is important that we, if there's any biblical change that need to come to your story, that you will be willing to adjust your story, your experience to his, so that the people could be helped in this world. One of the things that when we conduct a wedding ceremony, I always tell to the couple, where they say yes to all of the stuff that they should say yes to. I say, well, we're sending you out into the world now as a building block for a healthy society because the society needs to be built on your kind of relationship that you two will have. And they're looking for people to learn from what true biblical marriage may look like. The world is full of the wrong models. And the Christians ought to be presenting the world with a correct biblical model, whether you're married or not. So it's not just pressure on the marriage here this morning. It is on all of us a responsibility that we collectively have about presenting something about marriage to the world that is biblical and helpful and something that they would like to aspire to. And so even if you have messed up, in how you've conducted your marriage, there is the second chance that we get in God. God, please help me to readjust the way that I've treated my wife, my husband. And how I've spoken about it. Whenever we're in crowds of people and we t- the marriage issue comes up, there's always comments, particularly amongst the men. And it's not always helpful. On the contrary, it's very discouraging. If a young person would walk in there, if my son who is 20 this week would walk into a conversation when men are the, talking about the, the, the dangers of marriage and, and, and all of the things that are just not so um, incredibly exciting about marriage, what perspective would he leave that conversation with about marriage? Hence, whether you're young or old, you, each one of us carries something of a responsibility about marriage that we ought to have changed if it's not biblical. Is that right? It's essential. The third thing that we go into as we consider this portion of Scripture is that Paul then, the, the writer of this letter, often brings the gospel into the home. What I mean by the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. What He has come to do for us, how He's come to present us with new hope and, and a new life, and, and how the thinking of Jesus has been brought down here into earth, but not just scattered everywhere, particularly also being taken into homes. And Paul is very good with this. He often uses home language, home context, to say, well, the gospel, what Jesus has accomplished on the gospel, needs to be brought into every home. And every home, first of all, consists of a husband and a wife. Not always we understand the realities of of what life goes through and and what happens, and and people divorce and and, and people pass on, and, and, and those dynamics aren't always present. But in general, when we bring it into a home, we bring it into a place where there are people who want to and ought to live in a godly way. And Paul says, if the gospel has affected your heart, it should also affect your home. Whether you're a single parent, married, or single, whatever it is. Because in this portion, and we'll get to that later, Paul is first of all talking in in Ephesians 3 verses um, 18 to about 22. He talks about relationships in the home. And he talks about relationship between husband and wife. Then he talks about relationships between children and parents. And then he talks about relationships outside of the home, which is the workplace. He talks about how we ought to treat one another as servants and as masters. And in our context, will be employers and employees. So he brings the gospel into real life. But he starts with the closest relationships we ought to have and will have here on earth. And that is at home whatever home is like for you. And so we're not going to this morning just present a typical model and say father, mother, or husband, wife, and children, because I know that there are different models present even in this context. What we want to bring across is the understanding of whatever model we have, how it should function. And again, we don't have enough time to discuss that. But the big thing is that whatever your model is or whatever your context is you need to be willing to bring uh, bring a biblical perspective of what home should look like into that context so again when we consider colossians remember we've spoken about the first two chapters how how um where's my bible can i just grab it how paul had introduced us to these incredible truths about what Jesus had done for us in chapters 1 and 2, and, um, and then when he goes into chapters 3 and 4, he brings it really home in a, min- in a sense to us, and he helps us to understand how we can bring these biblical values and apply them into different contexts. And here it seems, in chapter 3 and verse 18, that it really becomes very specific about where we should apply these things in chapter one and two as i said we read about what jesus had done for us what he had accomplished on the cross then in chapter one or chapter three rather verse one he says if now all of these things are evident in your life that jesus has done this for you and you're aware of it then apply it in the following way and he talks about various general things about We've died to this and we need to be alive unto those things and we need to put on these things and put off those things. Then he brings it into a particular context in verse 18. And he says, wives and husbands. So he talks family. And he says, guys, if the redemption work, the redemptive work, you know what the word redemption means? It means that you've been saved from something that um, could have really been a negative in your life. And um, when, we, when we look at that, it really is just simply what Jesus has done for us. He brought redemption. In other words, He offered the action of being saved from sin to us. And so if we have read through Colossians 1 and 2, and we see what the redemptive work of God is like, what He has done for us, that redemptive work, being saved from sin, needs to take effect and be applied in our home. The closest relationships that we will ever have will be at home. Correct. Whatever home is for you, whether it's you know relatives, um, husband, wife, children, wider family, that's your closest relationship. And if we this morning would say, "I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and He has saved me from us and he has done a great work in my life," the first people that should benefit from the redemptive work of Christ in your life and in my life are the people closest to me. And so we need to ask the people closest to us then, this question: Does the work of Christ upon Vesi? Has it taken shape to such an extent that the people closest to me, my wife, benefit from it first? And if it's not, then I've got to question whether I've actually allowed that redemptive work to mold me and to shape me. I cannot stand on a stage. I have the privilege of doing that. And... and great honor to teach and to preach and I love this but I cannot stand up here and and pretend that I am allowing the people closest to me to benefit from what Christ has done in my life by just standing in front of you and pretending that you know it's happening but when I go home I'm a different person than when I'm here and I treat her with disrespect and I do not honor her and I do not lay my life down for her which is what Christ said I ought to do. So I challenge myself and I challenge us all that if we are saying, Christ is the Lord of my life and He's done a great work in me, then we need to ask the people closest to us, is that true? Does it equal certain behavior at home? And it's not to condemn anybody. It's just to say, let's make the gospel real. Let the people closest to you benefit from it first. Not just, you know, where you stand on stage and you try to impress people. Or you go to work and, you know, try to be the hero there. But we're villains at home. So we need to make sure that the gospel is influencing our homes. We need to bring it into the home. And Paul often does that. You go read through Scripture. Even when we, in the context of eldership, when we say, there's something about that man that we recognize as a calling of eldership upon him. But we've tested it first at home. Because what Scripture says, qualifications of an elder is not, first of all, can he, can he do this and can he do that? It's just, is he faithful at home? <laughs> the scripture teaches that. How does he treat his wife? I've had the privilege of being in His home many times. Just using this as an example to say the Gospel needs to take shape in our lives and form us to the extent that the people closest to us benefit from it, firstly. Then in our context here this morning we're going to talk about the practical application of the Gospel entering the home and so. What is it that Paul is in this context saying should be evident in the believer's home? And so he uses these simple words where he's trying to establish something of a godly environment for us to have when we have a home. And so he says here, and again, what I'm trying to say is not to speak into marriages that are here, but we're speaking into every person's heart and saying maybe this is not, possible for you at this moment in your life at this stage maybe it will become maybe it was possible in the past since things have changed but what we're trying to say is let our minds about marriage be of such that we would refer people to this kind of model is that okay that when we talk about marriage we'll say well you know what I read about in the Bible is the following these are just two verses we don't have time to go into more but that we as married and unmarried will have a perspective about marriage that we can help others with so yeah we read this that the two points that I just want to make from these two different verses first of all read about this portion about wives submitting to your husbands at is as is fitting in the Lord's the point I want to make is just this that submission should be a choice and not a demand submission is a choice and not a demand. The word submission is used in the Bible in a much wider context than just marriage. And unfortunately for some, particularly men, often it is used to justify certain behavior and certain demands that they put on their wives. But if we look at the word submission and, and the, the principle of, sub, of submission, we see that it's much wider presented than just wives to husbands. It's first of all, and uh, you can write down these verses, it's not on the board. 1 Peter 3 verse 22, it says that God has placed everything in submission to Christ, to whom even the angels are subordinate. 1 Peter 3 22. So it says that everything is in submission to God. All right? A second portion, and Paul writes about this when he speaks into the home, he uses this in Ephesians 5, he says the church is in submission to the Lord. Hey, the church, believers of Jesus Christ, we submitted to Him. All right? Then another portion of Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 16, where it says that as followers of Christ, we submit to God, to His requirements, to His training in our lives, but we also submit to one another to work together so there's this mutual submission and, and Paul again um, supports this in Ephesians 5 verse 21 he says submit to each other in reverence of God <laughs> and then we even find in Hebrews 13 verse 17 where the author of the Hebrew book says submit yourself to the leaders that God has put over you. Talk about spiritual leaders. Where people come and being part of a church, they say, hey, I'd like to submit to the leaders. I'd like to listen to their counsel, to their guidance. Scripture teaches us these things. But ultimately what Scripture also teaches is this, that submission is a choice, not something that we demand. And so when we bring that understanding of submission that we we all submit to God, we submit to one another, then when Paul says wives and he brings them into the picture, it's crucial that we, particularly as men, do not use that to suit us. But first of all, as people of God recognize that we all are in submission and ought to be in submission to God. This portion of scripture is often abused. And may I say, by men. Where as men, we use it to justify what we want women or our wives to do for us. By the way, it doesn't say women submit to men. Uh-huh. It says wives submit to your husband not all men or all husbands or whatever it is, and all women submit to all men, it says within the context of a, of a godly, built on biblical perspective marriage, there is safety for a woman to submit to a husband. And so what Paul does here, he introduces us to the concept of male headship without male domination. That's where things have gone wrong, is where we've had male domination and insisting on male headship and demands come. And we then say, well, this is the right thing according to what I believe you ought to do. And our culture then determines what it looks like when a wife submits to a husband. We've got to read the bigger picture. And again, if we just stop at verse 18, it's dangerous because it's connected to what follows. Ephesians 5, and Paul talks about marriage as well. He starts in, verse, in Ephesians 5, verse 22, he says, wives ought to submit to their husbands. But before that, he said, 5, verse 21, we submit to one another. there's a mutual submission that we should have. And we do this together. The Bible nowhere teaches male leadership in the family, without at the same time teaching that husbands should love and care for and honor their wives. It's never just plucked up and said the male is in, is in a leadership role, without bringing it into the context of servanthood and love and of care and of honor, paul clearly speaks to the wives here, and not to the husbands. You see that? <laughs> When we read verse 18, it says wives, submit to your husband. It doesn't say husbands, let your wives submit themselves to you. So it's a call. It's an invitation to the wives to understand their role, not their identity there. Because their identity is found in Christ. Their identity is not found in their role. It's often where we miss it too. As men, we have certain roles, and we find our identity in being leaders at home. And we easily could find our identity in that. That's just a role, my friend. That's not your identity. Your identity is that you're a servant and a follower of Jesus, and therefore you're the same as everybody else. We're all followers. We have different roles. My role as a leader of this church does not determine my identity. That is my role. There's a function I have. I'm no different than you. I do not stand on, of a, on a stage to present myself as higher and more important than you. This is a role I have, a calling that God had put on my life. I'm no different than you. And so together we need to understand what the difference between identity and role is. Or well, clearly he speaks about that. The women are to be allowed to choose for this instead of being forced into it. And Paul, again, in the context of chapter 3, after we've read all about what he says these truths are in Christ, he says, let me just, again, give you some context here. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Seek these things that are above. If you have been raised with Christ, seek these things that are above. So when we start talking about the home. We bring it into the context of what Paul is saying. Seek the things that are above. The things that God has for us. The, th- the mind of Christ that we need to have when we function at home. So it's very important. A wife's submission has to do with function, not value. Just as Jesus Christ is functioning subordinate to the father yet equal with the father so a wife is functionally subordinate to a husband yet equal to him and you may not be again in a context friend this morning where you have a wife or you are a husband or whatever it may be but you have an understanding that you need to have about what it looks like when a marriage is based on biblical value and this is what you need to live with and what you need to communicate to others and therefore submission cannot be forced upon the wife against her will by a demanding husband. Wife is a helpmate. A helper suitable to the husband we find in Scripture and not a slave to suit the husband's every urge. She will gladly submit to a loving leader who himself is submissive to God and His sovereignty. A submitted husband to God makes it easy for a wife to be submitted to Him but you do your own thing, you don't care about God, and you start demanding things, hey, it makes it very difficult. You cannot expect as a husband that your wife will just willingly submit to every demand that you have. She's not, a, she's not supposed to, to just do everything that you demand. There's certain things that a husband could, could demand of his wife, but could be completely unbiblical and wrong and inhumane even. But as we are submitted to Christ, He determines our actions. He determines our values. And as we outlive those values, it makes it so much easier for people to submit in a marriage context. In all of this, we need to clearly understand that God does not discriminate one against the other. I say this again. Our roles do not determine our identity. Our identity determines our role. And all of this starts from this wonderful relationship that in this context, Paul is saying the wife should have. It says, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The very way that she relates to her husband must reflect the influence of Christ upon her life and not the prevailing norms of her culture. Again, something that we can spend a lot of time on. So lastly, just we get to the husbands. I just thought that you off the hook this morning. Eh? <laughs> we ran out of time. Okay, we'll skip the husbands. <laughs> not so. It says, verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now this morning is actually an amazing moment. Mark and Heather are celebrating their 40th today. Incredible. Mark, why don't you just come up? And uh, some weeks ago, Mark said to me, You know what, when we get to the 8th of September, I'd love just to communicate something about our journey together. And it just so worked out in God that, um, that today we're preaching on this. We didn't plan for it. It just worked out that we're talking about marriage. And so, well done for getting married 40 years ago so that we today could preach about this. You guys are amazing. Phenomenal.
1: <laughs> I thought you'd gone home. I didn't realize you're still here. May have been better if you had, but we'll, um, we'll see where it goes. Can I just uh, address a question to the people who are married here? Um, How long have you been married? Has it all been easy? Have you had problems as you've gone along? Has it sometimes been difficult to resolve those problems? I think Has it sometimes been difficult to resolve? Oh, thank you. Good, we, we, we've set the gauge now. I feel I'm, uh, I'm uh, in common company. Uh, three and a half weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I've got Bessie's time here. Uh, how, how long have I got? <laughs> uh, three and a half weeks ago, Heather and I uh, flew to England, uh, where our family are, uh, children and grandchildren, and sisters <laughs> and people. And uh, as we got on the plane to go, uh, I had uh, in a testament to my efficiency at booking flights and getting all the right things, we have managed to get um, a seat in one row by the window and a seat in the row behind by the aisle for us to have our six-hour journey um, as a couple. And uh, so, when we got on, uh, I sort of thought, well, let's let's see who's got the other seats. Can we juggle things around? And uh, uh, so. we had the guy who was in my seat not even in his own seat in my seat uh, who I needed to move from the seat he should have been sat in the guy behind who was in his own seat but where would be good for Heather and so we started a a bit of a a dialogue and then the guy on the other side who was by the window and didn't have anyone next to him thought he might be able to help and so um, at this point in time uh, we have got approximately 190 people in the queue up the aisle behind us now if you haven't flown Don't fly, it's horrible. Um, And uh, so the hostess obviously got involved and it all became very confusing. And at at one point I just said, look, hi, it's fine. As long as we're together, we'll be fine. I don't mind whether it's there or there. there. As long as we're together, we'll be fine. And it it triggered an echo in my mind of some advice we'd been given at a time in our life where uh, we were struggling, we were having a difficult time and I wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one and we weren't the only couple here this morning who had been through that, right? So that's why we started the way we did. Um, and it, uh, it struck me that I just said something in the midst of all this uh, mayhem on the airplane quite profound. If we're together, we'll be fine. And that's something which uh, we worked out through help and counselling, and I'm sure through God, that one of the ways to stay together is to stay together Um, but there's another element to that and also something which we uh, realised some years ago which has been more helpful even than that it is that when we were joined together it it wasn't just as a couple that there's a partnership there which involves God as well and (coughs) 40 years later, um, which, which seems amazing. Um, and you're probably surprised that I got married when I was seven years of age, because that's not usual. Um, but <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to just publicly give testimony today um, to my wife, who was amazing, who's put up with me for 40 years. And she's one of the reasons that we're still together. But even more than my wife, I want to give testimony to God for having been the glue sometimes, the lubricant sometimes, something that just solved problems. And um, I I believe we've been so blessed. Uh, I know a lot of people have had difficult times in marriage, and I know a lot of people have been ill. And I've never understood why some people who are ill get healed and others don't. In the marriage context, I just express my gratitude to God that we're one of the couples who got the miracles.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Well done, Heather. Well done, Mark and it's these stories that that need to be told and it's these stories that will be not only told by them but by us about the possibility of people to last and live together and enjoy each other that's why it's good for us to hear and just celebrate this because whatever we celebrate we cultivate so that you can have a biblical perspective of marriage that when people press on your button, whatever age you may be, or whatever you've gone through or not gone through in marriage, that you will have a reference saying, you know what, the other day I heard about this couple. Amazing what it could mean for somebody who's finding it very tough and is very afraid of marriage. So husbands go to love their wives. I want to ask these questions. And I ask these questions to myself because I'm a husband. A husband ought to to ask himself regularly. And men, if you have the ability to write down something or whatever, I I challenge the men to make something of this. And please, I do not say this lightly, just to give men homework. And please, wives, don't check up on them. It's not going to (laughs) help. But what have I given up for my wife lately would be a good question to start with just what have I given up for my wife lately again if you're considering marriage and if you want to help others with marriage ask men these questions not what has she done wrong again but what have you done that has meant that you've given up something for her benefit Second question could be, what does it cost me to be her husband? All of these questions are asked in the light of what Jesus has done for us. He says to men, men, if you want to love, you need to love the way that I love the church. By giving of myself to her. All of us sitting here this morning as a testimony that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. He has been that bridegroom to us with a bride, and for men it's very difficult to understand often. But Jesus has done this. He has laid down his life and he challenges men and he says I have given myself I'm asking of you to do the same for your wife. So what has it cost me as a husband to be that to her lately? What sacrifices have I made to enhance her well-being? Not how much money have you earned last month to give her something to live on. What sacrifices have I made to enhance her well being? Christ loved the church so much he made the ultimate sacrifice for her. Husbands, love your wives. And the word that, that Paul uses, yeah. There are five different Greek words to the word love. One of them is eros, where we get the word erotica from, where Whatever we see as men appeals to us. It's not the word that he uses here. He doesn't use the word phileo, which really means brotherly love. It's nice to have that kind of a friendship with your wife where we just hey, we're good friends. But he uses the word agape, which is the ultimate kind of love, which is the God love that he has shown us, where he's given of himself. So when Paul says to us as husbands, we ought to love, he doesn't say love with you know, your eyes, love with your hands, love with your wallet. He says love with your life, by giving your life to her. Then he sneaks this last thing in, and I'll sneak it in as I close. He says, as you love your wife, he adds this. He says, do not be harsh with them. So the love has to result in a specific way in which we love. It means that we do not treat them unkindly. And the actual Greek word here is actually more related to being embittered against her. Which really means, don't abuse her. Don't be resentful. Don't hold hard feelings against her. Because obviously God had used Paul to write this into this context. It was an issue. That husbands would have loved, but loved in such a way that it still left a scar on the woman. Something that still not completely correct. It left the woman with some form of hurt. So it's challenging this stuff, isn't it? That we ought to love in such a way that they benefit from it and not us first of all. For it's easy for us to become angry with our wives, to turn against them, to take them for granted, and be very mean to them. But Paul is saying, God against that. He's speaking this about the way we ought to love them. And it seems to be something that is not just kind of snuck in here, but it's something that that we need to take seriously and make sure that the way in which we love and the way in which we encourage other men to love their wives, that it would be such that the woman really benefits from, and not just the men. So it's easy just to love with a selfish ambition involved in an agenda. <laughs> i love her because maybe I'll get something from it. But Jesus had no guarantee that we would love Him back when He gave His life on the cross. He gave His life unconditionally. And so I encourage us as me. It's love. So I conclude To all i want to say to all of us here may our perspective on marriage be challenged by the gospel the truth whether you're married or not may your perspective on marriage be challenged by the truth to all may we impart godly values about marriage to all we talk to about it May the words about marriage that you share with people even if you have never tasted it if you have tasted it and have been disappointed and Disillusioned by it and hurt by it. May what we speak about marriage be uplifting and uplifting, may it be biblical and help others towards a biblical perspective of it. To those who have been hurt and disappointed in it before, may we walk away from bad experiences and trust God to renew our minds about marriage. You may never get married again. I'm not saying you have to, whatever, but just people that have gone through divorce, gone through a bad experience. But may God renew and redeem that and give you a new perspective on it. To those married here this morning, may we bring this wonderful truth about marriage into our current homes as husbands and wives. And to those of you intending and burning with a passion perhaps to get married, (laughs) because that's real. May I say this to you. May you become the right one instead of looking for the right one. That's a different angle. Because a lot of young people sit under this huge dream of finding the right one. He or she is out there. But Scripture actually teaches us that we need to become the right one for somebody else to find. And so guys and young girls... Learn about marriage, learn about God, so that when you get involved in marriage, that you will be the right one for that spouse, that you will engage in this lifelong covenant. This morning we're going to share communion. And we're going to meet around the table and celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross by breaking bread together, which is His body, and we're going to drink from the cup, which is the blood that He spilled for us. It's just juice. Don't worry, it's not real blood. It's just a symbolic picture of what Jesus has done for us. But as we do that, I want you to have this perspective in your mind, saying, Jesus, help me to see what you had done so that healthy marriages, 40 years, Long back, like this morning's story could be possible. And help me that my speech, that my perspective about it would help my marriage and if I'm not married, help other marriages. Because all of you have people that you are connected to that are married and possibly will get married. And each one of us will be an influence into somebody else's future regarding marriage. And so as we break bread, we say thank you that you've given us the perfect model. Help me to live with a biblical mindset about what marriage could look like by celebrating what you've done in the cross for us. And so these tables are open for people who have a testimony that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. It's not about membership to this local church. It's about membership of, of this body of Christ, of you being knitted into His family through your testimony of being Saved and redeemed from your sin. So, Father, we thank you this morning for well, just two simple verses again that carry so much. And there's so much, Lord God, that we could talk about regarding this. Help us, O oh God, that as we break bread together right now, that even before we do that, that if there's anything, Lord God, a resentment that we build up around marriage and, and a and a hardness about marriage because of hard experiences and tough ones that we may have had and others have had and we've expo- been exposed to it and we've kind of resented marriage and, and what happens in it. I pray, Lord God, that you will touch our hearts and if there's anyone here this morning, Lord God, that before they break bread, they will say, Jesus, forgive me for the perspective that I've lived with about marriage, that before I partake, I want to ask you to forgive me because I want to be a channel of hope to people around me. And Father, for us that are married, I pray that you will help us, Lord God, to be what you want us to be. And as we partake of these elements, that we will say, Jesus, I drink of this and I eat of this to to commit myself to a similar lifestyle that you lived by sacrificing yourself. I want to do that in my marriage. Father, for people here this morning that have loved have loved ones in marriage that they lost a spouse. I thank you that they can celebrate what they had. I thank you, Father, that as they partake of, of these elements that they will look back to the husband, the wife that they had and, and lost through death. But thank you for what you gave them and what they could have back then. And Lord God, that they even this morning will be encouraged, not just about a future a marriage, but about communicating about marriage in such a way that others will find hope for their own. Father, we thank you this morning for the body of Christ at work, that we could listen but take what we've heard and act responsibly with it in our own and in the lives of others. God, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.